Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Welcome, everyone. Welcome those who are joining us online. My name is Rick Thompson. I'm the pastor here at Living Water Community Church. I heard a story about a woman's husband who had been slipping in and out of a coma for several months. Yet she had stayed by his bedside every single day. One day when he came to, he motioned for her to come nearer, and as she sat by him, he whispered, eyes full of tears, you know what? You've been with me all through the bad times. And when I, when I got fired, you were there to support me. When my business failed, you were there. When I got shot, you were by my side. When we lost the house, you stayed right there. When my health started failing, you were still by my side. You know what? What, dear? She asked gently, smiling as her heart began to fill with warmth. I think you're bad luck. <laughs> I'll just say, (laughs) we're in a a series that we are calling Focus on the Family. (laughs) And we are are basically using two scriptures. John 10.10, reading out of the message, Jesus said, a thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and what? Better. Better. Better life than they've ever dreamed of. It's a promise from Jesus. And Romans 12, 18 was the second verse, do everything possible on your part to live in peace with everybody. And so according to those two scriptures, God wants us to have a more and better and fulfilled life. Amen. That's what Jesus said. But the second verse says, we have a part to play. We have a role to play. Amen. The woman has her role, the man has his. We both have roles as parents, even, even children have roles. The Bible says children honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land. The first commandment with a promise. And so the implication is that if you dishonor them, maybe, maybe your days won't be long in the land. That's a heavy role, but that's a role to play even as kids. But today, I don't want to leave out that group that makes up a huge portion of our population because they're part of our families and and they have a role to play as well. The title of this morning's message is The Singles Role. The Singles Role. And and why do we want to include that group? Because oftentimes when we do a family message, and I do, you know, four weeks or six weeks, a lot of times the singles feel like they're left out, and that couldn't be further from the truth as far as the the Bible is concerned. According to a CNN report, and we all know how reliable CNN is, but I backed it up with other other, uh, evidence. There are 96 million people, what was that, seven years ago, there was 96 million people in the United States who have no spouse. Today, that number is 100 and 24.6 million, almost 128 million singles or singles again. That old percentage used to be 43% of the population uh, of Americans 18 uh, uh, or over. 
according to the Census Bureau, now it's 50.2% of the population that are single in America. It's going in the wrong direction. People, people are opting out of marriage. Single is defined as adults who have never been married or are single again through divorce or being widowed. And of the singletons in our country, approximately 61% of them have never said I do, 24% are divorced, and 15% are widowed. A Laura Meckler from the Associated Press, she made this comment. She said, hoping to avoid divorce, it helps if you're wealthy, religious, college-educated, and at least 20 years old when you tie the knot. Couples who don't live together before marriage have a better shot at staying together as do those whose parents stayed married. That's according to Laura Meckler of the Tampa Tribune. The survey released by the Centers of Disease Control and, and Prevention found that 70% of those who lived together, it's from the CDC, for at least five years did eventually walk down the aisle. So they did make it to the aisle. But these marriages are also more likely, they said, to break up after 10 years with 40% of couples that had lived together before marriage had broken up. That compares to just 31% of those who did not live together. So if you're part of the 50.2% here today or listening online, this message is for you, and I hope it's a word of encouragement. It's good news. It's actually good news. And here's the good news. Listen, according to the scripture, you don't have to be married to fulfill God's plan for your life. Did you hear me? You don't have to be married to fulfill God's plan for your life. You do, however, have to be committed. Committed to who? Yeah, committed to God, committed to Jesus. You need to have a commitment to him. Here's the promise in the scripture that's applied to all of us in the book of Jeremiah. Originally, it was to the Jews, but we can all take something from it. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Jeremiah speaking prophetically. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you do what? When you seek me with half of your heart. Only on Sundays. When there's an occasional Bible study. Are you guys reading the same thing I'm reading? When you seek me with, help me. Does all mean all? Yeah, when you seek me with all your heart, he says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So what is God looking for from all of us, including the singles and singles again? He's looking for a full-hearted commitment to him first of all. I haven't said that. There's some things that we ought to be doing and embracing. If you are in that season of life, if you're single or single again uh, due to a divorce or becoming a widow, there's a few things you should be doing. Eight things, if you will. If you don't have an outline, raise your hand. Let's get one to you. Those who are following online or even in the pews, there's a little scan me. It'll pull it up electronically. 
special orders to the singles. The first thing is you ought to walk in your gift. Walk in your gift. What do I mean by that? Well, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, 7, he said, God gives some the gift of marriage. Where are my married people out there? Come on. Oh, don't sound so excited. <laughs> it, was like, it was like a tomb in here. I saw a bunch of hands go up. I heard nothing. Where are my married people out there? Yeah. Right, there, you go, there you go. God gives some the gift of marriage, and to others he gives the gift of singleness. Look at that. Marriage is a gift, and being single is a gift as well. So according to the scripture, singleness is a potential gift. And we know this because when we look through the scripture, we see a whole bunch of strong and godly men and women who were not married. They were quite single and serving God. We had Miriam, Moses' elder sister. There was Ruth, who happened to be single again due to her husband passing. There was Elijah, the prophets, Elijah and Elisha. Of course, there was Jeremiah and Daniel, the three Hebrew boys. There was the Apostle Paul. We're going to hear from him today. And Pastor Timothy and the Apostle John. There was Mary Magdalene, John the Baptist, and probably the most famous single person of all was Jesus. And he fulfilled God's plan for his life. Amen? All of them were single and serving, following hard after God in their time. You don't have to have a ring on your finger or a man or woman on your arm to serve Jesus. So a good question might be this morning, well, how do you know? How do you know what, Pastor Rick? How do you know if you've got the, the gift of marriage or the gift of singleness? Well, let's look at this. Let's look at what the scripture says. It's really quite simple. 1 Corinthians 7, 8, and 9. Read it out in the New Living Translation. This is what the Apostle Paul said. He said, so I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it is better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. It's pretty simple, right? Pretty straightforward, right? The Bible says it's the difference between having self-control or if, if there's a desire there, it's better to get married. I was, uh, a few years ago, we were doing the beach picnic, and, and we got the baptisms done, and we were all just sitting by the beach at the, at, toward the end, and uh, one, of the, one of the young members of my church made this comment as I was walking by, as I was walking up to him, and he was looking in a different direction, and he said, what a beautiful scene. And I looked, and I, I looked about at the beach. I said, yeah, the beach is beautiful. But then I realized he wasn't looking at the beach. <laughs> he was looking at one of the young ladies in the church who just walked by. <laughs> okay. And... He ended up marrying that beautiful scene, <laughs> right? Yes, yes, and they're on, you know, their second child now. So the Bible says it's better to get married than to burn with lust. And so if you have a, a hankering for the opposite sex, then the Bible says, not shock up, 
not create baby mamas and daddies. He says, get married. It's getting quiet in here. <laughs> Pastor Rick's going to go there today, just so you know. So don't feel weird for having this chapter in your life. You can be single and still serving. Amen? What's number one? Walk in your gift. Number two, don't be a wanderer. Now, what do I mean by that? A wanderer. First Corinthians 7.17, the message says, and don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. God, not your marital status, defines your life. Don't think I'm being harder on you than on the others. I give the same counsel in all of the churches. In other words, what he's saying is stop spending all your time and energy wandering and wandering about your relationship status. Don't they have that on all the social media? The people are changing their status. I'm single. I'm, 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 in, I'm in a relationship and all this other stuff. Chasing after what I call waterfalls. Put down roots. Grow where you're planted. Whether you're single or married, that's where God wants you right now. That's what he's saying. The Bible says God and not your marital status defines your life. Some people, they're not whole unless they have somebody on their arm. That that's, couldn't be further from the truth. God made you an individual person, and he put everything in you that he wants in you to fulfill his plan for your life. Truth of the matter is none of us came out of the womb married. We were all single before we were married, and as a single, we have a unique opportunity to allow God to develop and mature us as individuals. So then if, if and when you get married, that person that's getting you gets to get a mature and fully devoted follower of Christ and not a carnal Christian or immature believer. A carnal Christian or immature believer. They're folks that spend all their days fantasizing and wishing they were someplace else or with someone else. If I could just be married, then I'd be happy. If I could just be single again... I'll be happy. And in my opinion, when you do that, all you're doing is wasting precious time. Time you really don't have. God and not your marital status should define your life. As a single, before I met my beautiful bride of 35 years, what was Pastor Rick doing? I was working in the children's ministry. I jumped into a Christian band. I'd go out down to the beach and I'd go witnessing. My mom is my witness here. I was single and serving until God brought the person that he wanted in my life. Now, I knew I didn't have the gift of singleness. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, I'm going to do it your way, but don't wait too long. Which brings us to number three. Don't be wayward or worldly. Wayward definition is be behaving in an erratic, unpredictable, or apparently perverse way. Worldly has two definitions. The first one says of a person who is experienced and sophisticated. <clears throat> That's not what I'm talking about. The second one is closer to it. It says of or concerned with matter values 
or ordinary life rather than a spiritual existence. The second one comes closest, but even that doesn't reach what the Bible means when it says worldly. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 7.23 says. It says, God paid a high price for you, so don't be enslaved by the world. What was the price that God paid? He loved you to death by way of his son. That was a contractual thing that took place. We owed, I said it yesterday, we all owed a debt we couldn't pay, and he paid a debt he didn't owe. That had to happen 2,000 years ago for us to gain entrance into the family of God. And so he paid, the scripture says, God paid a high price for you. That price that he paid was his son, his one and only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So he says, because God paid for you, because God paid such a high price for you, he says, don't be enslaved by the world. So the world and the systems have an ability to somehow enslave us. Now, that doesn't sound good. 1 Corinthians 3 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger, and you still aren't ready. Paul is talking to the church. He says, it's a church full of carnal Christians, worldly Christians, people who, who are saved by grace, but they're still in and enslaved by the world. He said, I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger, and you still aren't ready. For you, listen, listen, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. And then he gives examples. He says, you are jealous of one another, and you quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? And so we let Scripture define Scripture, and it speaks of the world. It's, it means being controlled by your sinful nature. That passage mentions, too, jealousy and quarreling, but it's certainly not limited to those things. Galatians gives us a broader picture of what people who are controlled by their sinful nature or, or who are worldly. Galatians 5.19 says, when you... Follow the desires of your sinful nature. The results are very clear. Listen. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Lustful pleasures. Idolatry. Sorcery. Hostility. Quarreling. Jealousy. Outbursts of anger. Selfish ambition. Dissensions and divisions and envy and drunkenness and wild parties and other sins like these. And then he makes this cryptic statement. He says, let me tell you again, as, I've, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life, help me out somebody, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Oh snap. That sounds serious. But he goes on to say in verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. In other words, if you have genuinely accepted Jesus, the Holy Spirit has come in because of what Jesus did. He washed away your sins. And the evidence of the Holy Spirit being in your life or the byproduct 
of the Holy Spirit being in your life. It says the Holy Spirit will produce these things, these fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And so the fruit of the Spirit or the byproduct of the Holy Spirit residing in our lives, these are the things that God is trying to produce. Is it all happening at one time? No. It's like a tree that produces, you know, uh, you know mangoes or lemons. It, it, it takes time, but that's what should start, your life should start to look like these things if you've genuinely accepted Christ. So instead of being wayward and worldly, what does the Bible say we ought to do? It says practice self-control. Practice self-control, especially in these areas of where it says sinful uh, desires, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures. Oftentimes, sometimes I get people to say, well, Pastor Rick, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. Are you a Christian? It was an accident. I accidentally had an affair. You did? How do you accidentally have an affair? How does that happen, honestly? How do you accidentally fall into bed with somebody else? No, you're lacking self-control. That's what's going on. And the good news is God has given you a spirit of self-control. He said, I'm not giving you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You do not have to fall into these patterns, these sinful patterns. Because the world is always trying to ensnare us back into the things that used to happen. Does that make sense? Scripture goes on to say in Romans 12 2, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. Now, how does he do it? It says by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And I always ask the question, does anybody want to know what God's will is? Anybody? Come on. Don't anybody want to know what God's plan for your life is? I do. I've always, from the moment I got saved, okay, Lord, what's the plan? What is it that you want me to do to fulfill my mission that you've called me to in this life? I want to know. Well, it gives us in this passage an outline of how we can figure it out. First of all, it says stop conforming to the patterns of this world. All that nonsense you see going on on TV and and, and the foolishness that's being, you know, perpetrated on our kids and, and our society and calling good evil and evil good and all that other stuff. If you conform to the patterns of this world, you will not, you will not see God's will for your life. You will not. So he says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but, but, uh, but let God transform you into a new person by changing that stinking thinking. And the moment he, he, you allow him to start to change the way you think, change your mind. How does that happen? Well, you, you get before the word. There was, there was a, before I got saved, I was quite worldly in my approach to things. I, I did exactly what my buddies were doing, and then God came and captured my heart. And the moment he captured my heart, the Holy Spirit came in. 
And the moment the Holy Spirit came in, he started giving me a desire to read his word. And then when I started reading his word, I started saying, oh, snap. Some of the things <laughs> that I've been doing are not cool with God. Come on, somebody. And so at that moment, I have, I have a decision to make. Am I going to continue to, to live in a worldly state, or am I going to do my best to, to repent of those things and to start to please God? And we all have that same choice. God's not a respecter of persons. I know it's the same process for everyone. The moment you get saved, the moment you have that aha moment, the Holy Spirit's going to come in. And in that moment, when that Holy Spirit comes in, that's why I said God loves you just the way you, God, God will accept you just the way you are, but he loves you way too much to keep you that way. Because just the way you are, it's like a fisherman. When you come in, when you, when you, when you pull in a fish, that's great, but you can't eat the fish that way, right? You got to clean the fish, right? And the cleaning of the fish takes, it's a process. So the Holy Spirit will come in. He says, now don't conform to the patterns of this world. Allow him to change the way you think. And in the process of your mind starting to change, the Bible says you will start to learn to know God's will for you. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The, the more you make him a, a, a priority in your life and in your heart, his will, listen to me, as you start to walk after the things of the Lord, it wouldn't be that, you, oh, I got to find it, I got to find his will. No, his will will overtake you. You're going to be walking in his will as your mind and your attitudes start to change as you move forward in the Lord. In other words, don't conform, Transform. Let me give you number four. Avoid wasting time. 1 Corinthians 7, 29. It says, I do, not want to, I do want to point out, friends, that time is of the essence. There's no time to waste. So don't complicate your lives unnecessarily. Keep it simple. In marriage, grief, joy, whatever, even in ordinary things, your daily routines of shopping and so on, Deal as sparingly as possible with the things the world thrusts on you. This world, as you see it, is on its way out. We've all, we've all heard that statement. Uh, kiss, keep it simple. Help me out, somebody. Keep it simple. No, I'm not going to call anyone stupid. We're going to change it. <laughs> keep it simple, servants. There we go. I like that better. Keep it simple. Service. As it relates to your marriage and, and your everyday life, the scripture says to keep it simple. He goes on to say, I want you to live as free of complications as possible. This is Paul talking. When you're unmarried, you're free to concentrate on simply pleasing the master. Marriage involves you and all the nuts and bolts of domestic life and in wanting to please your, your spouse, leading to so many more demands on your attention. The time and energy that married people spend on, care, on caring for and nurturing each other, the unmarried can spend in becoming holy and, holy and, and holy instruments of God. I'm trying to be helpful and make it as easy as possible for you, not, not make things harder. All I want is for you to be able to develop a way of life in which you can spend plenty of time together with the master without a lot of distractions. He goes on to say, if a man has a woman friend, to whom he is loyal but never intended to marry, having decided to serve God as a single, then changes his mind, deciding he should marry her, he should go ahead and marry. It's no sin. It's not even a step down from celibacy, as some say. On the other hand, if a man is comfortable in his decision for a single life in service to God, 
It is entirely his own conviction and not imposed on him by others. He ought to stick with it. Marriage is spiritually and morally right and not inferior to singleness in any way. Although, as I, indicate, as I indicated earlier, because of the times we live in, I do have uh, pastoral reasons for encouraging singleness. And so, and so Paul was, a, a, was a, a fan of being fully devoted to Jesus. And in his life, he saw if he took on a wife, his devotion would be divided. And then, of course, if you have children and all this other stuff. And so he, he was like, dude, stay single and serve Jesus. That's what, he, that, 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 that's what he was saying. He says, a wife must stay with her husband as long as he lives. If he dies, she is free to marry anyone she chooses. She will, of course, want to marry a believer and have the blessing of the master. Let me read that again. A wife must stay with her husband as long as he lives. If he dies, she is free to marry anyone she chooses. She will, of course, want to marry a believer and having the blessing of the master. By now, you know that I think she'll be better off staying single. The master, in my opinion, thinks so, too. And so, again, how do we avoid wasting time? Whatever station God puts you at, don't waste time. Begin serving. If someone, if someone, and then if, 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 like in my case, if someone comes along, and I always tell the, the single people, if someone comes along and, and they start to pace with you in terms of, you know, your, your love for Jesus and your desire to, to, to serve him, and then all of a sudden some, some guy comes up and he's doing the same thing, give him a, give him a chance. Yeah, but he don't look like, he don't look, you know, he's not tall, dark, and handsome, and, and he, you know, he, he's not like the Marlboro man. Listen, <laughs> because all that stuff is outward stuff. Are, are you looking for Mr. Right or Mr. Right Now? Come on, somebody. Give that guy a, a, a shot, because if he loves Jesus and he's, in God's word, there's a good chance that maybe that's the one God would have for you. Amen? So, also while you're single, let me encourage you to deal with your issues, your hang-ups, your baggage. Therapy if need be. Because when that person comes along, a lot of times we look for other people to kind of fix our, they're going to, they're going to, be my, you know, you know, they're going to fix everything for me. No, they're not going to fix anything for you. <laughs> You're just going to bring baggage into it. So uh, allow God to, to mature you and become the man and woman of God you, that you should be apart from him, even if it takes, okay, I've got some baggage, I've got some hang-ups and things I've got to deal with. Deal with it now. Don't wait till you get married because he's going to bring baggage into it too, and too much baggage causes problems, all right? It's time to grow up. Let me give you number five. Do whatever will help. Do whatever will help. 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 7.35 says, I'm saying this for your, for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Hebrews 12.1, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. My question to you here and those who are listening online is, 
What are the things hindering or entangling you today? Again, don't wait till there's another person in the picture to deal with those things. Get rid of it and or get the help that you need. Let me give you number six. Be willing to wait. Be willing to wait. 1 Corinthians 7.24 says, Friends, stay where you were called to be. God is there. Hold the high ground with him at your side. Question. Will God ask you to wait sometimes? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Will it be hard to wait? Yes. Waiting. When you're put in God's waiting room, it's not the easiest place to be. But he still expects us to wait. And to wait in a godly way. I know, I'm waiting, but I'm partying and I've got, got all sorts of stuff going on. No, wait in a godly way. Be the man of God, even as a single. The woman of God, even as a single. Listen to what the psalmist says. He says in Psalms 27, he says, Yet I am confident that I will see the Lord's goodness while I am here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Learn to wait on the Lord. And understand that when the scripture says he's going he's to give you the desires of your heart, God knows your desires. He knows if you have the gift of marriage or the gift of singleness, and he's not trying to torture you. He, he has the ability to bring that person. All through the scriptures, <laughs> supernaturally, God will bring peop the people to, that he wants you to match with. But if you're messing around with somebody that is not God's plan for your life, that person could come, but, and you're entangled. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when that person comes, you're just going to, you're not even going to notice that God, God brought this person. Let me give you number seven. Be wise. 2 Corinthians 6.14, it's the same advice he gave to those who are uh, widows or single again. It says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Have we, have we heard that term before? before? Yes. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. A yoke is that thing that goes on animals that, that, that are plowing in the field. And so an equal yoke would be, okay, I'm going to put the yoke on, let's say it's two donkeys, two donkeys pulling in one direction. An unequal yoke is to put one on a donkey and one on a, let's say, a cow, okay? They've, have, they've got two different temperaments. They've got two different gates. It's an unequal yoke. One's going to want to pull this way. One's going to want to pull that way. So the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever, all right? A Christian should seek out another Christian. That's all it's saying. And then it gives the reasons why. It says, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? It's another word for the devil. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Did you, did you ever think of yourself that way? A lot of people that think, oh, I'm going to church. And they think of the church as a building with four walls. When the Bible describes the church, you know what it's talking about? You. It's talking about you. 
the temple of the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit resides. And when we have like great worship services, that's great. But the Bible says, two or more gathered in my name, there I am in your midst. The Holy Spirit resides in his people. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. For you are the temple of the living God. And as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and where you go, God goes. Think about that. Where have you been this week? What you do, God is doing it with you. When Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, what did you think that meant? People will call me up all the time. Pastor Rick, are you alone? What do I say? I always say, I'm, I'm never alone. <laughs> I am never alone. Because the scripture says I'm never alone. That's called practicing the presence of the Lord. Now, if I'm practicing the presence of the Lord in my marriage, that means <laughs> that there's certain things I'm not going to do, even though no one else is watching, but God is. You understand what I'm saying? That's called practicing the presence of God. That will keep you married. That will keep the things around your relationships strong. Because it doesn't matter if she's there or if he's there. God is there. Isn't that what Joseph said? When he was accosted by Potiphar's wife, who saw that he was a good-looking guy, and Potiphar went out to do business, and she grabbed him and said, lay with me. And he says, I would never do that. I, I can't do that. I wouldn't do that against your husband, and I'm not going to do it against my God. Come on, somebody. Practice the presence of God. You are God's temple. Now, why be wise? Listen, because the most important decision you can make in this life is whether you accept Jesus or not or whether you're going to walk with him. And I said this before, that, that is the number one decision. Scripture, there's a, there's a poem that says, if you've met me and forget me, Pastor Rick, you, you've actually lost nothing. I can't do anything for you except tell you what the scripture says and do my best to point you to Jesus. But in the big scheme of things, you haven't lost anything if you meet me and forget me. But if you meet Jesus and forget him, you've lost everything. You have aimed low and you've hit your target. Because my Bible says this life is but a mess. It's we're here today and going tomorrow. The scripture says we have an eternal soul that's going to live forever somewhere. And Jesus is the lover of our souls. The most important decision you ever make is what are you going to do with Jesus? Let me tell you what the second most important decision you'll make. Who are you going to walk through this life with? That person could either make you or break you. And if you choose someone who's not on the same page as you spiritually, you're going to get this unequal yoke thing where you're constantly being pulled. You're trying to go this way, and, you're and they're trying to go that way. And let me tell you who's going to win, the strongest of the two of you. And so if he, try if he decides that your church ain't a priority, 
and Jesus ain't the priority, and you've already, and you've, you know, then that's what's going to happen to your family as well. That's why Jesus says, don't be, the scripture says, don't be unequally yoked. We're not looking for Mr. or Mrs. right now. We want Mr. or Mrs. right. We want someone who's a ride or die, come hell or high water. I'm going to serve Jesus along with you through everything that's coming to you in this life. Does that make sense? And let me give you the, the eighth and final one. It's simply this, get to work. Get to work. 1 Corinthians 7.30 says, Happiness or sadness or wealth should not keep anyone from doing God's work. Happiness or sadness or wealth. Now, I, I, I like that it said that because happy people can get distracted and, and if you're happy, you come to church. There are people who are sad. I'm, I'm looking at my, my brother, uh, Mike, and he, and he just laid his mama to rest uh, yesterday. She passed three, a uh, couple of days earlier. He was in church last week. And during the worship, this is what I see him doing, worshiping Jesus. Listen to me. Happiness or sadness all wealth should not keep anyone from doing God's work. It says wealth. Pastor Rick, pray for me. Pray for you for what? Pray for me. That I, 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 I got a lottery ticket. Pray that I win. <laughs> I, I, I'll remember the church. I said, I'm not going to pray that you win the lottery. Why? Why? Because I won't see you again. <laughs> <laughs> your Sundays are going to be fun days on the, on the, on the, with your new yacht and everything like that. Wealth has a way of just distracting people. None of these things should keep you away from doing God's work. It says those in frequent contact with the things of this world should make, should make good use of them without becoming attached to them. For this world and all it contains will pass away. In everything you do, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. Listen, everything in this world, it says, will pass away. And the truth of the matter is we cannot take anything with us. You can, you can get on that. We were at the, the Rick Case dealership yesterday looking for, I told you a few weeks ago that my daughter uh, got hit. Someone hit the car and told her to, cause she had, so we had to go get her another car. And then we found out, too, that it was Deborah's first job. It was at Rick Casey. She used to work with Rick Casey and his wife. And then um, Seth, who had difficulty, a medical issue a few years ago, or two years ago now, a year and a half ago, he ended up in the hospital with a heart attack. And he said, he found out then, and I didn't know this, that Rick Case was in the hospital that same time that he was in there. And Rick Case, we, we all know Rick Case. We've heard his name, right? He, he owns all these dealerships and all over the place, Hyundai, I mean, Kia, and Honda, Honda, all these other things. And he went home to be with the Lord. 
And guess what? All of his dealerships are still here. All that money he earned is still here. All the cars, the bank accounts, all of it. So whether it all passes away first, like the, the Bible says, the earth and all these things are going to pass away, or you pass away, none of it's coming with us. So to live for just this stuff, you've aimed low and you hit your target. I'm reminded of what Jesus says. What does it matter if you gain the whole world and in the end lose your soul? For what can a man give in exchange for his soul? How much is your soul worth? Well, God thought it was worth the price of his son. If you forget me, if you meet me and forget me, you've lost nothing. If you meet Jesus and someone took the time, I remember the, the preacher who took the time to knock on our door and invite us to church, and I heard the gospel for the very first time at his church, and I just wept. It made sense. And from then until now, I, I serve him as best I can. If you meet Jesus and you forget him, you've lost everything. Don't be distracted by the things of this world. Hold it lightly. Use it for the things of God. Enjoy it. But understand, you ain't taking none of it with you. And so it makes more sense to live our lives focused a little bit higher than the things of this world, focused on eternity. Does that make sense? So if you're here today and you've not yet accepted Christ as your Savior, or in your heart of hearts you know, Pastor Rick, I, I'm a believer in Jesus, but I'm, I'm, I'm worldly, I'm carnal. I, I'm just in the world. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Repent. Ask his forgiveness. He's a good, good father. He's not trying to beat us up. He's trying to lift us up and to bring us in the proper relationship with him. He says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds, by allowing him to change the way you think. Then you will know his good and pleasing and perfect will for your lives. God has a plan and a purpose for your life, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. You do not have to be married, but you do have to be committed to Jesus. If you've not yet humbled your heart, it'd be my privilege and my honor just to lead you in a prayer of commitment to him. It's not hard. 
and asking him to forgive you and to fill you with his spirit. And to start from this day forward living, I'm not talking about perfection. No one's perfect. No one is perfect. But by his grace, his spirit will take up residence in you and he will start to change the way you think. You're going to start wanting to what he wants. Not just for you, but for your husband, for your wife, for your children, for your family. You will become a different person. Can I get a witness? <laughs> I'm not making this stuff up. You will become a different person. The man and woman of God, he's called you to be by his grace. It's by grace you've been saved through faith and this not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man may boast. Jesus did all the work. We receive the gift, and we start to walk in it. Let's everyone bow our heads and close our eyes. And if that's you today, if the Holy, if Holy Spirit is drawing you today, don't say no. Say yes. Say something like this from your heart. Heavenly Father, I acknowledge my need for a Savior. Forgive me for my sins, for doing things and going my own way. Help me from this day forward to live a life that's pleasing to you. Fill me with your spirit. Let the byproduct of your spirit overflow in me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. I believe that Jesus died for my sins and three days later rose again. And because he lives, I have the promise that I'm going to live as well. Come into my life. Come into my heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.